Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 835. You know, regardless of what your wife says, it's okay to look left and right while you're driving straight. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce two very special guests. They're actually Cars Yeah alumni, Tom Cotter and Michael Allen Ross. Both are returning guests here on Cars Yeah. Tom was guest number 119 back in 2014, and then he returned uh, as guest number 620 when he was here with Bill Warner talking about a book they did on Cuba, and Michael was guest number 218 back in April of 2015. So, Tom, Michael, are you guys buckle up and ready for a fun ride? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Tom Cotter is an accomplished author who wrote the iconic six-book series on barn finds, starting with The Cobra in the Barn. He's a longtime magazine contributor and travels around the country looking for cool cars and writing stories. Michael Allen Ross is an automotive photographer who's taken his passion for loving cars and carved out a career photographing the cars and people that define the industry. His work is featured in a wide range of advertising and editorial work in the United States and Europe. Tom and Michael have collaborated and created a new book titled Motor City Barn Finds, Detroit's Lost Collector Cars. And it's published by our friends at Motorbooks, where Zach Miller, who's another past guest here on Cars Yow, runs the company. And this isn't the first time these two have been on a road trip together. Another book they collaborated on was Barn Find Road Trip. And by the way, one lucky Cars Yow subscriber is going to win a copy of this book, compliments of these two great guys and Motorbooks. So simply go to CarsYow.com, click on the free book button, and your name will be in the hat to win a copy of this awesome book. Well, guys... Welcome back to Cars Yeah. Thanks for being here today. I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you uh, tell me what led you two guys to get together again and write this fantastic book? And we'll start with you, Tom. This is actually the fourth book that Michael and I have done together. We, we've, we've just completed the content for a fifth book, which will be out next year. Wow. We're, we're a pretty good team together. And, you know, we, we can share a hotel room. We don't even think twice about it anymore. We're traveling buddies, and we both dig cars. We both dig people. So, you know, I wouldn't want to shoot a book with anybody else but Michael. Ah, there you go. Michael? Well, I don't even know what to say after that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's Tom's way of telling you that we probably know way too much about each other at this point. <laughs> yeah. But we are kind of like, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of freaking frack. And, and at the same time, we, you know, we hit the ground running. And we know that as soon as I get off the plane, as soon as I show up wherever I need to be, I know that. I've got to show up camera ready, and that's the way I show up every morning, and it's and it's that way until we hit the hay. Yeah. It's just the way we do it. You know, it's just flat out from the time we get together till the time we say goodbye. So I'm um, looking forward to the next one. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like uh, two friends who are enjoying time together and collaborating, creating things together. Two guys that have been there, done that. Both of you have been in the industry forever. And the fact that you can be such great friends traveling, you're actually doing a fifth book as a true testament to your friendship because traveling together can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. I always like to start this journey with all my guests by asking, for a success quote. Now, you go, I know you guys have been on the show before, but I'm going to ask you again. Maybe it's changed some kind of inspirational concept here that you could share with our listeners. So we'll start with you, Tom. Well, you know, finding old cars, people you know, say there's no old cars out there. How do you do it? Whatever. 
And, you know, it, it just comes down. To, it's, it's just hard work. It's just good old fashioned hard work. When you want to go out and find cars, no matter if it's in Detroit or Los Angeles or Florida, I mean, just it just takes hard work. And, and Michael will vouch for it. We are out there from sunrise to hours after sunset photographing, finding and, and interviewing the owners of these cars. So there's nothing easy about it. But that doesn't mean it's not fun. Right. How about you, Michael? Well, you know, I, I always say it's really great to be good, but sometimes you've got to get lucky. I used that recently with a, a gentleman who I've admired as an incredible icon in the design world. I worked, did some work with uh, Carl Magnuson, mm. and I, I mentioned that to him, and he said, I think there, I don't believe in good luck. I think it's, I think it's all about hard work. Mm. Things happen when you work hard. And you know what? I'm, the more, ever since he said that, I've I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of leaning that way. You know, it is, it, things come to you, the harder you push, the harder, you, the deeper you dig, things come to you. So I'm kind of, I'm taking that spin on it. Just keep pushing hard, keep shooting and um, things will happen. You know, nothing out trumps hard work. And I used to think my earlier years, I was a really lucky guy because things just kind of came to me and they kind of happened. And then I remember my, my dad telling me once, he goes, you know what? Luck is a combination of preparation and taking a chance and seizing opportunity when it arrives. And that opportunity can't be seized unless you're prepared. And like Tom said, you're willing to work really hard. So I kind of agree with what uh, that very famous designer told you. I think there's a lot to it. Well, how have you guys applied this to how you put this book together? And we're going to talk more about it, but you talked about getting up very early, working to really late. So these two quotes, how do they apply to getting a project like this done? Because this is huge. There's a lot of work in here. A lot of work. And, you know, when, when we left for this trip in Detroit, we knew about one car. Just one? Just one. So, like, I posted on Facebook, hey, anybody that's got some, you know, cool barn finds in the Detroit area would like to know about it. And I got, you know, people will say, oh, if you come to Nebraska, I know where cars are. Or <laughs> yeah. I live in Portland, Oregon, I know where cars are. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm going to be in Detroit. So I had one lead, a 1967 Ford Country Squire wagon. Uh, which happened to be a 428 four-speed bucket seat car from the factory, and and now it's in my garage at home. But that's <laughs> that's that's the only car we knew about, and literally we spent I guess ten full days doing nothing but looking for cars, and it was just the old-fashioned way, asking one guy if he knows about any other cars, mm -hmm. uh, going to Cars and Coffee and asking everybody at the Cars and Coffee, and just driving down the road looking left and right. And, uh, you know, that that's how it happened. And so I interview the people. Michael knows exactly the kind of questions I'm going to ask people. So while he's shooting photography, he's listening to what I'm talking about. And if I'm talking about the Nash Metropolitan, Michael's going to shoot the Nash. And if I'm talking about the MGTD, Michael's over there shooting details on the MGTD. Ah. So he's got two things to do. He's got to listen and shoot based on my interview. Right. Now, how about you, Michael? I mean, it's pretty amazing. You guys took off with only one true place to go social media has a big part of what we're doing these days i mean all of a sudden did things just start falling into place or was it just like a big detective show well i you know i it's it's a type of thing that i'm, I'm always blown away how people respond to vehicles you gotta understand you have to understand we're driving tom's ford woody and we went into the craziest sections of detroit and, you know, people are telling us, you know, that's not a good area. You might be careful going over there. I'm telling you, going down the street in that vehicle puts a smile on people's <laughs> face. Yeah. People open their doors. 
people stand up on their porch and walk out and they want to talk to you. Yeah. And they want to, you know, it's, it's immediately a, a, a connection, you know, there's an immediate connection there and people want to, Hey, yeah, sure. Let me show you what I've got. You're established as a car guy walking down the street. And I'm telling you, there is no, I had never been to Detroit before and which is kind of crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. And everywhere you go from the bus driver to the cab driver, I mean, everybody in that town, it is motor city and for a reason. Yeah. And I was just blown away by the warmth of the people and the warmth for, for the automotive industry and cool old cars. So that's really the thing that, uh, you know, we didn't have to, you know, we're digging and digging, but it became easier and easier when, uh, you know, when you have such a, a, um, uh, rich environment to pull from. It was great. It was just a great experience. Yeah, I would imagine a lot of these car guys go, hey, there's these guys driving around Detroit, this old Woody. You got to check it out. And I've driven some old cars in my past as daily drivers. I had a 66 uh, GT350 Mustang. I had a uh, Beck Spider. And those cars, whenever I go get gas, I'd end up spending 30 minutes talking to people. Cars transcend social economic boundaries and barriers, and they transcend religion and politics. And I mean, people, they just bring people together. So I think there's a brilliant thing here you guys did, and that was to drive around in that car. That was a that was a really grand idea. This is Tom again. I was at the Concourse of America this past weekend, and I spoke to the owner of an old Capri race car, Zach Speed Capri race car, that raced in Europe, it raced at Le Mans, raced at Sebring. And he had been on and off, on and off, trying to buy this car, trying to get a, the best price he could. And it was right in Detroit in a junkyard. And he saw my Woody riding down Woodward Avenue last July and said, oh, my God, <laughs> Cotter has found out about it. I better go buy it right now. And it inspired him to buy that car. He thought I was going to beat him to the punch. You were the catalyst. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, it, what's pretty cool about that is I've had friends like that. I've had friends that go, hey, if you don't buy that car, I will. And then it, like, spurs you on to go buy something that maybe you weren't going to buy. But, yeah, beware. If Tom knows about it, you better beware. You better get your checkbook out. Well, you guys are are used to barn fine concepts here with books. So the idea has already been there. It's something that you utilize. But what made you guys decide to go to Motor City? Now, it seems kind of obvious. Because Motor City, of course, Detroit. But Detroit's had some challenging times the last decade or so. So what pushed you to want to go there and do this? I love Detroit. I, If I was 25 years old, I would move to Detroit heartbeat. I love the history. I love the old factory buildings. I love the, the all the brands of cars that are no longer manufactured. And just because the town had gone through some hard times recently, I felt it was an ideal time to go and, and check out what might be available because people who could afford cars 20 years ago might not be able to afford them now and they might be available. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not looking to buy more cars myself, I want to give the viewers uh, on the uh, Haggerty series Barn Find Hunter that I do and the readers of the book, I want to give them encouragement that if they get off the couch, there's still a lot of cars to be found. Right. How about you, Michael? Well, when uh, Tom said, hey, I've got an idea. What do you think about Detroit? I immediately was in. You know, it's um, I had never been there, but there's so much history there. I couldn't wait to find out what we were going to find, because I'm thinking in the back of my head, who knows what's stashed away in Detroit? Right. You know, yeah. who knows what who knows what slipped through the cracks? 
you know, who knows what people were working on that didn't get to the street, who knows, you know, and there were personal connections there. A Packard plant was there. Uh, My first ride in an automobile was in a Packard as a kid. And uh, I talked about that in our previous interview. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go there and, um, you know, now I have a brick from the Packard plant in my bookcase. Oh my gosh. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah, it was a it was a piece of stuff. I really wanted to go there. And as I said before, if you, I was just blown away by the 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 genuine warmth of that town. And if you're a car guy, you need to go. Need to go. You mentioned something, Tom, about there's still barn finds out there. I live up here in uh, Gig Harbor, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. And about two months ago, a friend of mine called and said, hey, there's a guy over on Vashon Island, which is literally kind of right over from Gig Harbor, but it's an island. You got to take a ferry. And he said he's 80 years old. He's got a, he's original owner of a 67 911S Porsche, and he's ready to let it go. And I said, what? And we went over there. The, before he even showed us the car, we spent an hour in his kitchen. His wife made us fresh danishes. He poured us some lattes that he made with his Italian espresso machine. He just wanted to know about us before he shared his barn find. And then we opened that door, saw the car, got to drive it, looked at it. And two months later, he's not into the car scene so much. I helped him find a buyer, and that car's off to its next caretaker. So they're still out there, and sometimes they're right in your backyard, right? You know, what you're saying is so true that there's a bit of romance involved. You know, it's it's almost like automotive foreplay where you've got to sell yourself before you can talk about buying something else. Right. And if if this person is going to let you into their world and open this garage that they haven't opened for a long time, uh, you've got to be a worthy person. Otherwise, you're down the road. And that's why, as Michael says, the, the Woody that I drive, a 39 Ford Woody, which, by the way, I bought when I was 15 in a barn mm-hmm. on Long Island. That's the ideal icebreaker. When you pull up in front of, you know, in front of a hillbilly's house in West Virginia, and he knows you're a car guy. And if he wants to talk to you suddenly as much as you want to talk to him. Yeah. And if you drive up in a black Suburban or a new pickup truck, you're kind of a city slicker wheeler dealer. But you drive up in a Woody and you're authentic. Exactly. Well, you two guys are both authentic guys. I've known you both for a while. You guys are true blue car guys. But you're right. Appearing, showing up the right way. And a lot of these people, they don't have to sell their cars, but they want them to go to the next person who will love them. They don't want to sell them to a flipper. They don't want to sell them to somebody who doesn't really care about them. But it's such a wonderful experience. And that that time I had with Lee and I helped him communicate with other people and use the internet. And he created a beautiful series of photos. And, you know, it was just a fun process. I was so happy to help him be happy about where his uh, beautiful black S went to. Well, let's talk about a challenge. Now, these kinds of trips are not without challenge, sometimes some failures. So take me to points in time for each of you that you were putting this book together where you went, oh, man, this is a real pain. How are we going to deal with this? We'll start with Tom. Uh, well, I think I can think of, of two things. One was during the trip, and that's when the electric fan motor died in the Woody. And last July, it was it hot. Was hot. It was nearly, nearly 100 degrees in Detroit. And as soon as I put on the air conditioning, the, the car would overheat. So it was driving – this old car without air conditioning. Oh my. And then the fan motor just died altogether. And so we sat in a parking lot with a car that you know, was literally, I couldn't start it. Uh, and I, I said, oh man, I don't want to crack this engine. But we got through it. We found somebody that could fix it for us. And, you know, it was on a Sunday. But again, when you drive a 39 Ford, people come out of the woodwork to help you. Yes. The other thing that 
you know, people don't think about when you write a book is there's no money in books. You know, you don't write a book to make money. You write a book because you can afford to write that book. And at the at the end of and I always kid Bill Warner. I said when we started that the Cuba book, I said to Bill, it's important for you to make a decision now. Do you want a Gulf Stream or are you going to be settled? You're going to be satisfied with a Learjet? Just joking <laughs> because you know people aren't buying books anymore. Bookstores are you know they're not very popular. If you go to Barnes and Noble, they sell more puzzles and toys than they do books. Yeah. And so doing a book is something you do from your heart, not from your head. And a book like this is expensive to do. I mean, it, it can cost, you know, six or eight thousand dollars with airfare and fuel and hotel rooms and meals for two weeks. That That's a tough one. You got to be able to suck it up and say, OK, you know what? I, I didn't do this for the money. and I hope I can get my investment back. So right. that that's the other hardship that most people won't admit. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Michael? Well, I'm falling over because I thought we were going to make some money. <laughs> yeah, Michael <laughs> Michael wanted to know where his jet was to take him down to Monterey Car Week. Oh, you just spoiled the whole thing here, Tom. <laughs> no, uh, no, I think, you know, uh, uh, Tom did mention that the, the weather was such a, you know, on this particular one, extreme. We have the benefit of doing when you work at that time of year, you have the benefit of really long days. So we were we were literally wrapping things up at close to ten o'clock. Yet nine forty five, you still had enough light for me to shoot. Yeah, and and we were going nonstop. I mean, it was when you start to pull in the logistics of everything and the and the, the challenges of that, just keeping yourself hydrated and mm-hmm. and moving to the next spot and everything like that, it really becomes a factor. But you're on such a mission to do it that. It doesn't matter. You know, it is a challenge, but you just get used to it. And I just realized, you know, after the third day, hey, I'm just going to be wet until I leave Detroit. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to be wet, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, power through. Yeah, you just buck up and do it. How many weeks uh, were you guys on the road doing this? Functionally two weeks. That's a lot of hot, sweaty days. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the, these environments are filthy. These environments are filthy. Yeah. And so you're, you're all damp with sweat. And then you walk into this dusty environment with cars that are coated with years worth of stuff. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make for a pretty sight. And all you want is a shower at the end of the day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I thought a couple of I mean, I was rolling around in the street and um, there's a whole backstory to what we do that people don't see. I think at, at, at any given moment, my pants were about to spontaneously combust <laughs> because of the gasoline and oil that I was rolling around in. But yeah. You know what? The shots were worth it. Well, yeah. Well, I, I follow you, Michael, on Facebook and I see you laying on the ground, feet under coming under a car up on hanging over a balcony i mean you'll do anything to get a shot so that's what i enjoy about you but you always do it with that great smile on your face you're always happy and smiling you figured out the secret to uh combining your business with your life no doubt well i just i just want a cookie at the end (laughs) yeah no just a cookie he doesn't need a jet tom so you know i think we've calmed him down (laughs) Over that one. So I'm guessing next time I run into Tom, Michael, we'll Tom's be laughing. Tom's laughing because he knows that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I guess next time I see uh, Michael, we'll both be back in baggage class on the airplane. So uh, right back yeah, where we belong. Well, one of the things I really enjoyed about this book is how you've integrated people because I hear this over and over again from my guests. Yeah, this is cars. Yeah, we all love cars, but it's about the people that make the industry and the hobby so important. For instance, I saw Jeff Hacker in the book. He's a cars yeah i guess with that uh wild dune buggy you found so share some stories about the very unique people you met on this journey 
Well, you know, yeah, this is Tom. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know. You don't know what's behind the garage door that that this guy is going to open for you. But nor do you know who's going to answer the door when you ring the doorbell. So, you know, we met on the Detroit trip. Everybody from a guy who quit high school and took over his father's junkyard and towing business and still has the, you know, now he's 80 something years old, still has the original tow truck that he started to use when he was 15 years old. So you meet that guy and then you meet a guy. And and by the way, his whole backyard is filled with old cars. Then you meet a guy who is a reverend and a doctor. And, uh, you know, you get attracted to the, the red 57 Chevy and the black Cadillac in his driveway. But then he opens up the garage door and there's two XK140 Jaguars, uh, a coupe and a roadster and a 59, a pink 59 Cadillac. So, <laughs> so and you meet those guys and a cross section of everybody in between. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks like such an interesting group. Now, were there a couple characters that stood out for you, Michael? Oh, well, you know, we always put in uh, the other people too. We don't just concentrate on the car people because there's a lot of other people that you meet along the way too, like our favorite bartender. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, person that brought you the best pizza and stuff like that. So it's not just those, you know, the people with the cars, but there's a lot of people involved uh, along the way that kind of keep us going, you know, and and, um, keep us keep our room ready and keep things going so that uh, I I never want to uh, forget those people. But there were um, some just wonderful people. One of the things that I thought that I found very interesting is that there are a few times where, where people, you know, there could have been a, a slightly uh, difficult situation, but the people that you just met suddenly are protecting you. Ah, yeah. They're, yeah. Kind, of, they're kind of looking out for you. Mm-hmm. And they just met you. But right. because of the fact that you're a car guy and you're interested in what they're interested in, suddenly they're like, yeah, what do you want? You know, to, if if there's, you know, so that was a really cool thing that stood out to me that people are kind of like, you know, suddenly there's that immediate connection and now, now you're in, you're in the circle. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. Well, it's really cool. And, and I've, I've experienced that myself. And for you, Michael, you know, you're taking pictures of people's private lives, things that mean something mm-hmm. to them. How do you, or was there even a need to overcome the fact that wh- why are you taking a picture of that? Why, why are you taking a picture of my grandmother's, you know, Bible or whatever was sitting on the shelf or something? Yeah, I think they, I think they get it right away, and I, and um, so I don't, don't have a because I'll Tom's asking them questions and mm-hmm. I'm paying attention and I'm listening and and I'll refer to something that they just spoke about. They will tell me more about that and, might, and they're like, oh, okay, they go right into it. So there's a real connection there. But one of the things that I do love doing, and you'll see it in the book, is. Is doing the. We always wrap up with a portrait of a person. Yes, those are fantastic. Sort of environment, and it's from being able to listening to them throughout the from the moment you you meet them to to that moment. I'm kind of involved in things, and I'm kind of peripheral. And then all of a sudden, we're face to face. Right. But because of the fact that we've had this opportunity to interact, and they can see that I'm really into what they're into. Suddenly, boom! That connection comes right through to the lens right away. Yeah. And it's because you're kind of honoring what they're into and it's a respect it's a respect thing. They understand that you respect what they think is cool. 
I think it comes across. That word respect, I think, is so important. I can see that in the images you capture to these people. They look in their eyes. You, you can't hide someone's feelings when you look into their eyes, whether they're uncomfortable, unhappy. They don't want to be there versus people that are looking at you, Michael, as I trust this guy and trust is that. And I, I think another key is I've learned is asking permission. May I photograph this? May I photograph you? Always asking permission. And this is a good tip for any of you out there who are meeting people the first time, or even if you see somebody at a gas station, you see a cool car. May I take a picture of your car? All you have to do is ask, and all of a sudden, their their whole attitude changes because they understand you respect them instead of intruding like a paparazzi would and uh, into their lives. So well, what makes this book so special for you guys, and why are you so proud of the final publication, which, by the way, you should be. It's awesome. I've got my copy sitting right here. Um, and I'll remind the listeners out there, someone's going to get a free copy of this, so make sure you subscribe on the Cars yeah website. But what makes this book so special for you guys? Tom? I uh, was on a, a panel this past weekend at the Concourse of America in Plymouth, Michigan. It was a barn find panel, and, and uh, I was on there with Wayne Carini and Tom Shaughnessy. And we talked about our various methods of finding cars and, and cultivating leads. And, you know, those guys are into buying the cars. I'm just into finding them. But, you know, I was able to hold up this book and those other guys couldn't do that. I said, see this book right here. Now here I am in a suburb of Detroit. I held up the book. There were a hundred people in the audience. I said, see this book. This was written and photographed one year ago, right here. And every car in this book, is one hour is within one hour of where you're sitting right now. <laughs> if you're interested in that 55 Chevy or or in that XK 120 Jag, within one hour of where you're sitting right now, you can go and find that car and potentially buy it. And so that 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 meant a lot to me to be able to refer to these these people. That this is not like Hollywood or smoke and mirrors or things that are on the other side of the globe. You get in your car and within potentially minutes, you could be at some of these finds. Right. Very cool. How about you, Michael? Well, for me, um, I think it all had to do with this book stands out to me just because it's Detroit. It really defined my trip there, allowed me to have the opportunity to define it visually and to share that with people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's for me, I, I hope that that comes across because I have so many images in my head from that trip yeah that will be with me for a long long time yeah very personal yeah very cool well can you tom real quickly go over the other books that you guys have collaborated on so we've got a list of those for people to look for yeah well you know we i did the series of books uh the in the barn books cobra in the barn and so forth on cars and motorcycles uh but you know after you do five or six books of the same format i was ready to try something new so Michael and I had done a rock and roll book about it was uh, rock and garages about rock and roll musicians who love cars and motorcycles as much as we do. Because they make their living doing one thing and they spend their free time doing something else. Right. And we really enjoyed doing that book together. Uh, so I got this idea of doing a road trip, just get in a car with no advance warning, just get in a car. And just go and find cars the old-fashioned way. Talk to people, get leads, talk to farmers, go to auto parts stores. And we did it in Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. And uh, over a two-week period, and we found hundreds of cars. And so that was called Barn Find Road Trip. Then we said, 
oh, let's let's try another one. Let's try Route 66 barn find road trip. Let's go from Chicago to L.A. and see what we can find on the mother road. And so we we did the uh, Route 66 book as well. And that to me was, you know, to drive on an iconic road like that yeah. was just amazing. So and yep. so we did the Motor City barn finds and coming up, which I'm literally working on when I hang up this phone again. We just drove a Model T Ford from New York to California on the Lincoln Highway. And that book will be out next June, hopefully, called Ford Model T Coast to Coast, A Slow Drive Across a Fast Country. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was a magical trip. We, we, we commuted the old-fashioned way in a 100-year-old car on a 100-year-old road, and it was just fascinating. You know, my neighbor across the street, Bruce, has been a car guy forever. When I moved here, he had a 356 Porsche, and then he traded it for a Model T. I know some of you out there are going, what? But it worked for Bruce, and many times I'd be sitting here, and I'd see him pulling out, and I'd go run across the street, hey, take me for a ride. And I can't imagine taking that car across the country. You're a brave soul. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you got to slow down. It was a bucket list thing. And, you know, like like many bucket list items, you probably never get to it until I found a guy that that had a Model T and said, boy, I'd like to do that, too. And suddenly, well, there was no excuses. Here we go. So it took about a year's worth of planning and 15 days on the road. And it was magical. Ah, must have been. Well, not only did you guys find a lot of classic American automobiles, but you uncovered some very unique cars in here. Just a couple to tease our listeners. A 58 Ferrari 250 GT. There was a Lotus, a VW Camper Bug, and a Myers Manx, and that very unique dune buggy that Jeff Hacker is featured with. So what was the biggest surprise for you that you uncovered that you just went, no way, this is right here? We'll start with Tom. It was, well, we got there on a Friday. And never met, planned on meeting with Jeff, Jeff Hacker. He just happened to send me send me a text said, hey, I just found this really cool, weird concept car. Uh, you might want to check it out sometime. Now, Jeff lives in Florida. Right. I live in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And I, I said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll check it out when I'm home. Right now I'm in Detroit. He said, well, so am I. That's where I found the car. And so we connected. <laughs> wow. And he, and he found two cars, that that styling exercise and a Victress. And uh, so – that was Friday. Saturday, we were going to begin our uh, assault on Detroit, so to speak. And so we went to a place called Pastiners, which is an automotive store on uh, Woodward Avenue in Birmingham. And it sells books and uh, models and die casts and uh, cool stuff, all automotive stuff. And Steve Pastiner is a, a former designer for General Motors. And so we started his cars and, co- cars and coffee that he does every Saturday morning. And we Michael went in one direction and I went in the other. And we just started talking to people about, you know, we're doing this book on barn finds in Detroit. Can you give us a hand? And that Cars and Coffee, one hour or two hours of Cars and Coffee, gave us enough ammunition that kept us busy for two weeks. Wow. How about you, Michael? Was there a car that you stood back and went, this is here? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think for me, uh, it was, we, we had made a, a couple of turns. We were trying to head back to set a garage for lunch or something like that. And we... Just off Wood, Woodward Avenue, we see this one driveway, and I'm like, wow, what's that? And we kind of back up, and there's this long row of Cadillacs and Chevys and nobody home. And then to have that, there, this is this is the reverend that's in the book that Tom was talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay. And he opened, and just by luck, we I, I think we went and had our lunch, and then we came back, and 
we're going to, Tom's about to leave a note on the front door because nobody was responding. And he pulls up and when he opened the garage door, if you, if you, you have the book there, if you yeah. turn over the back to the back, that image on the back was as pure as can be. He started, to, he says, you guys are going to like what I've got in the garage. And he goes in the house and he opens it from the inside and he didn't get it all the way open. I said, stop right there. There's the image. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. I'll let our listeners know. Yeah. This shot you took is absolutely like major teasing. I mean, this beautiful tail fin of a late 50s Cadillac and then the wire wheel of this Jaguar. I mean, yeah, nice eye, Michael. But you can't, well, you can't make the stuff up. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, um, it was, it was just like, and that's, that's the hard work part to know this is it. Stop everything. You got to shoot this right now. You know, don't go any farther. So for me, that was a really, really, really cool thing. Uh, and the other thing is once you get the book, if you slip off the whole cover mm-hmm. and look at the hardcover. Yes, it's beautiful. The image that's on the, actually on the hardcover, that's when we broke down that Tom was talking about before when we broke down. We were at this this body plant. I think it was a Miller body plant. Mm-hmm. Um, Murray, so Murray out, of that, out of that that breakdown, yeah, that breakdown allowed us the opportunity to go around and shoot some other stuff, and it ends up being on the hardcover of the book. So, well, again, it's yeah, it's your eye that sees stuff differently than the rest of us, and that that hard book cover is just it's beautiful, historic, ominous, it's everything combined into one. So, again, awesome eye. Well, guys, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's cars, yeah, sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, Tom, Michael, we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What is the best car hunting advice you can offer our listeners? Tom? Oh, boy. I would say uh, use your ears more than your mouth. Listen (laughs) more than you talk. Uh, If you're talking, you can't hear. So ask the question and then shut up and, and let the person answer. 
Remember my mom told me once, that's why you have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> How about you, Michael? Uh, I, I think it's good to have two people in the car so one can look left and one could look look right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to get real dizzy, you know, going back and forth. Yeah. You know, you know you're right. Having a good uh, friend and partner is really, really valuable because one person can see things the other person doesn't see, vice versa. It's like the story you just t- told us. Hey, what was that down that driveway? Back up. Now, can you share one of your guys' personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your ability to complete a project like this? Tom? Uh, to complete a book or to find cars? Well, Alice, we're talking about the book. So to get a project like this done, because it's a combination of finding cars and then publishing a book. Well, I can tell you that, you know, you spend two weeks on the road and then you spend five months putting the book together. So we're talking right now, you're in, in Washington and I'm in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, which is a fantastic vacation spot. But guess what I'm doing? I'm sitting in the couch with my computer and all my source materials and I'm writing a book. So writing a book means you have to say no to a lot of the fun things for a period of time until you get your project done. When you commit and sign the contract with the publisher to have something done by Labor Day, you have to do everything in your world to make sure that you make that happen. And I appreciate you spending time with me here today. I'll say when Tom called in, I could hear his fingers tapping on the keyboard as we were waiting for Michael's call. How about you, Michael? Uh, What's a personal habit that you believe has helped contribute to getting this project done? Determination Mm. and and, um, discipline. You have to be very disciplined to, you know, back, you know, from a photographer standpoint, back everything up. Tom will tell you that he's crashing and I'm backing up images, making sure everything's protected and it's all there and it's all right. categorized. And every night I'm, I'm get looking for prime images and, and sending stuff off to the publisher so they know what we're doing and yeah. keeping that whole communication going. And Tom sees what I'm doing and we're like, hey, did we, you know, did we get that? Did we miss this? Is this okay? Is this the right direction? So it's a, a lot of keep the communication going and Stay organized. If you're organized, it, it'll all fall into place. Yeah. And, but without it, without it, it would just be chaos. Same thing for Tom. I mean, his stuff has got to be totally organized for him to put this together. Oh, my gosh. I can't yeah. even imagine. Well, if you guys think back to your trip, is there one car you saw that you can't live without? Tom? Uh, the one car that I saw that I couldn't live without, I couldn't live without, and I had to buy it. And <laughs> even though I... I, I try not to become, uh, you know, a purchaser of these cars because I'm not a dealer. Was the 67 Ford Country Squire with uh, wood siding, dual-facing rear seats, a 428 cubic inch engine, four-speed transmission, bucket seats, and a console. And uh, it, it's a one-of-one car. A guy from Ohio wanted to buy a new car. All his friends were buying muscle cars, which is what he wanted. But his wife said, look, we've got a family We've got a, a bunch of boys that need to go to Little League games. We need a station wagon. And so this guy talked the local Ford dealership in Ohio to go into bat for him and try to build a car that was impossible by the factory codes. And Lee Iacocca signed off on it. So that car is now sitting in my garage at home. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's wild. That's absolutely wild. Now, is that your next car for you guys to take on a trip? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I drove it to Kansas from North Carolina and back for a McPherson College board meeting, and it ran so well. But because it's got that big honking motor in there, it only gets 10 miles a gallon. Ouch, so yeah. It would, have to be a local, it would have to be a local trip. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Michael? Is there a car you saw that you'd just love to bring home? Well, um, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepard's going to like this one because uh, it was a Mopar. 
And ah. um, there's a story behind the, the cover of that book, because um, if you look through the book, you'll see the car that was in that garage. Um, and uh, look for the Mopar with the with the checkered front grill. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now look at that image and then look at the image on the front cover and you'll say, what happened here? But anyway, yeah. um, that car just stopped me dead in the tracks. I, we, we walked in this door. It was dark, you know, it was dark, poorly lit. And I was like, there's something, what, what's going on with this car? There's something going on. And we pulled up the front garage door and saw that checkered grill. And, and all of a sudden, all the, all the, the alarm bells went off. So uh, I'm not going to say anything more about it. Just just take a look for that. Look out for that car. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, it's funny yeah. you mentioned that because I, when I was flipping through the book when I first got it, that stopped me. I'm like, what? What? This is kind of cool. So now the book is available now. Is that correct? It is. Okay, cool. And again, for our listeners, it's titled Motor City Barn Finds Detroit's Lost Collector Cars by Motorbooks. And of course, you can find it at Amazon and Motorbooks. I'll have links to how you can get it on these guys' show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. If there's one singular message you would like our readers to get from looking at your book, reading your book, Motor City Barn Finds, what would that message be? Tom? There are still plenty of cars out there to be discovered. <laughs> Absolutely. I found one right next to me on Bashan Island, so they're out there. How about you, Michael? Visit Detroit and try a Coney. <laughs> great, great advice. You know, I knew this was going to be fun, you guys, and I know that uh, we're in the middle of summer. We're busy. Tom's trying to finish a book. Michael, you're off to all sorts of places. We're about two weeks away from Car Week. I know I'm going to see one of you at least down there. I look forward to that. Guys, you've taken me on an awesome ride today, and I've really enjoyed talking to you about this great new book, Motor City Barn Finds. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive and riding journey with me. Could you uh, offer us one piece of car? hunting wisdom or guidance before we drive off into the sunset tom well i have i've actually got 33 uh, <laughs> pieces of advice oh that my I've, gosh. Uh, written down but that would take a whole nother show so you know regardless of what your wife says it's okay to look left and right while you're driving straight <laughs> okay <laughs> that's a lo- that's a great one i'll remember that one how about you michael um it's it probably never stop looking yeah. Never stop looking because you, you never know who you'll meet. Yeah, it's the people. Listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about today that Tom Cotter and Michael Allen Ross have been so kind to share with us on their show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just uh, type either of their names in or Tom and Michael and that page will pop up. And I want to remind you, one very fortunate Cars yeah subscriber is going to win a copy of this book. Compliments of these guys. And motor books, just go to carsyad.com, click on the free book button. I'll send you my ebook, filler up, and you'll be subscribed to win. Uh, if you don't win the book, uh, go buy a copy. Fill your shelves with books, guys. Books are awesome. Hey, guys, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you guys down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been a blast. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us on here, Mark. Really appreciate it. And uh, hey, we got some room in the Woody if you want to go with us next time. You know, that sounds like a lot of fun. Be careful what you ask for. I might just end up in the back seat. Bye-bye. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design, 
and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Cars Yeah!